Self-care for veterinary professionals. What really works in the real world? This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And one of the topics that is talked about a lot lately is self-care. But today we want to explore what does that really mean? I mean, there's a lot of talk, a lot of fluff, a lot of discussion, but what really works in the real world? And today we're going to share our personal experiences and some of our daily habits and routines that keep us going strong and fit and motivated and inspired. But before we get into all that inspirational stuff, as always, I am one of your hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, you know, we are constantly questioned by our colleagues and friends and even family around how do you stay enthusiastic, fired up, inspired, you know, energized, healthy, right? I mean, that's a topic that a lot of people want to see what others are doing. And as a disclaimer, before we go any further in this podcast, Becky, I want to say that, you know what, your results may vary just because we do something and have great phenomenal success with it doesn't necessarily mean that it works in everybody's life, nor are we somehow advocating that you must do these things. We're just simply saying, hey, these are things we found successful, right? Sure. I mean, I just think that there is a lot of difficulty in the actual application. And we've talked about work-life balance and, and kind of the ways of creating in and out of the clinic in your whole life. But like individually, how do you fill your own cup? How do you take care of yourself? How do you fight the kind of guilt around self-care and, and time away from your family and stuff? And, and then just for fun, kind of how we do it. Right. And I think that's, let's start, that's a, an excellent point. It's the guilt. And yeah. I will tell you, you know, obviously being married for a long time and having children, uh, guilt comes in many forms. It's uh, time away from family. It's time away from work. It's time away from anything other than, you know, on yourself. And, yeah. and sometimes you do feel like, oh, wow, this just isn't fair to everybody around me. And I can tell you, you know, certainly back in my competitive Ironman days, I would have to spend entire weekends sometimes, you know, on a bike or on a long run. And the reality is that meant I didn't always get to be with my family as much as I wanted to. However, I'm going to give you some tips on how I did in just a second. But Becky, talk about the guilt that you feel. Yeah, I mean, well, and that's exactly right. You you take this time for yourself and you say, you know, boy, I would really love to do X, Y, or Z. It would make me feel good. I would feel relaxed. It, I love doing this thing. It energizes me or I enjoy it. But if I do it, then this is time that I could be cleaning my house, spending time with my kids, doing whatever it is that are the other things that are priorities in our life that we tend to move away from balance for. And, you know, it's funny because I was listening when you said how you would have to spend entire weekends to train. And the first thing that came to my mind was, yes, but your kids were watching you do it. And so you have to remember that these people that you're sacrificing for are also watching you and they're watching everything you do. And if they watch you take care of yourself, then they are taught how to take care of themselves. And they're taught that that's a priority. So again, we have to think about the message that we're sending when we do this and move away from that. I feel badly that I'm doing it. <laughs> right. And I will tell you that is that definitely crossed my mind and still crosses my mind to this day. Having said that, it doesn't necessarily assuage all the guilt. Uh, having said that, now that my kids are adult and have left home, 
it is really remarkable to watch how their self-care habits have sort of extended beyond the, the four walls of our home. And they're actually at college and at boarding school and they're training and working out and, and exercising. And, and so, yes, I think it does pay dividends big time. But let's get back to that guilt. Here's the, here's the essence of what I always told myself and continue to tell myself today. It's that by taking this time for myself, I am able to be a bigger person for the world, for my family. You know, so I do believe that somehow by taking this me time and focusing on my health, spirituality, emotional, you know, health, then I'm able to give more because you've mentioned it and you always like to say this, you know, you can't pour from a from an empty glass. And too often that's what we're trying to do. Always. I, I feel like it's what we're always trying to do. And I think for a lot of support staff members, especially, we kind of have to. A lot of times it's about working two jobs in order to make ends meet. It is really hard to find the time. But I think one of the first steps in doing this and, you know, forgive me because a lot of this stuff sounds sort of hokey pokey if you've never done it. And it sort of sounds really simple, but it has amazing results when you actually go through the steps and put it on paper but is having that personal mission and personal vision statement. If you know what you're working toward in life and you can better understand the things that will get you there. And so if your personal mission is to give back, if it is to create ripples, then you have to decide how you're going to be able to have the power and the energy to create those ripples. If you want to make change, energy, you know, it moves from being to being. It has to start somewhere. You've got to have the energy to do it. And if you can truly identify in writing on paper what your personal mission and vision is and are, I think you're better able to move through that space. And and while, again, the, the guilt isn't always going to go away, you have this backup sentence. Yes, but it supports my personal mission and it right. supports my personal vision. And I know it's going to do better for me and everyone around me. Yeah, we, we can't say enough good things about having goals, actually then working towards those goals and being accountable and, and sharing those goals. Okay, so let's say somehow you've got to deal with this. You've got to overcome uh, the and transcend the guilt that you may feel because you've got to have the energy to be the best you can be. If you want to live your best life, it's going to start with that energy. And for me, I've always focused heavily on, and I'm going to slide some athletic talk in here along with just like regular life. And that is with recovery slash rest. And so when we talk about restorative sleep, this is where it all begins. And I know many of you are listening today and go, yeah, that's, that'd be great if I could get more sleep. Well, listen, that's, that's, in your power. I mean, you can get more sleep, but more importantly, you've got to get quality sleep. So one of the tips I'm going to give you right now, I, I'm a big fan of sleep tracking devices. I have experimented with them all. I mean, many of you have heard me, you know, 15 years ago talking about the old Zeos. I used to, my wife and I would strap these things around our forehead to measure our EEG or our brain waves to see when we were in Delta and Alpha and different phases of brain activity. But I've always been a firm believer that, you know what, my energy, my creativity, Creativity, my ability to be the best I can be begins with restorative rest. And so today, currently, I use two sleep trackers. My absolute favorite, hands down, the one I recommend. I have pictures on it. I've been through all the iterations from Kickstarter to commercial product is a product called Aura. O-U-R-A, and we are in no way getting any kind of compensation. I'm just a huge fan of these guys. They are an amazing company, but O-U-R-A, they're from Finland, and it's a it's a tiny ring. I mean, Becky, you've seen different. Yeah. 
iterations of the rings from some big ones that kind of looked kind of weird, but um, to the now the small one looks like a, a wedding band, quite frankly. And so what that little tracker does is it measures my activity, my body temperature, it even does a, an algorithm for respirations, and it measures the quality of sleep. So I really, uh, really like this device. Uh, for example, not too long ago, I had traveled uh, out of town, and the hotel room was was a little too warm. I just, you know, the air conditioner just wasn't working properly or whatever. And so that night, even though I got an eight and a half hour sleep cycle, which is what I want to do, my sleep score was less because my body temperature was elevated, which, as we know, will affect deep sleep in particular. So my point is, do some kind of tracker. The second tracking device that I still use to this day is also named Aura, A-U-R-A, but it's from Withings, which was Withings. Then it was bought by Nokia, and now it's back independent with Withings. But it's a little mattress, pa- a little sensor that goes underneath your mattress. And so Laura and I both have them on our sides. Uh, just to tell you how big of fans we are of the Aura Ring, O-U-R-A, uh, I have those for my entire family. And so my two daughters wear them, uh, my wife wears them. And honestly, one of the cool things we do almost every day because they're away from us is ask for our sleep scores. So again, technology can help you figure out what, you know, what's the best way to get restorative sleep. And let me tell you, Becky, I, I think what happens with people with activity monitors and sleep trackers and all this stuff, they don't understand the actionable opportunity here. So see, let's say that you wake up and you feel lousy. You got a crappy night's rest, right? Well, this allows you the opportunity to reflect back on what you did leading up to sleep. Did you have alcohol? Did you have high carbohydrates or sugars prior to bedtime? Did you watch a scary movie, right? I mean, I I don't know what it was. Room temperature, noise, light. But now you get to go backwards and say, what influenced or potentially influenced my sleep state? And then you can correct it. And that's what I've done over many, many years. You know, for, for 20 years of doing this, I can tell you the exact things I need to do to get the best sleep possible. So again, Becky, what do you do to sort of try to get that best restorative sleep so you can start off your day uh, with energy? <laughs> I'm thinking about the fact that I have like four dogs in my bed and the, <laughs> the fact that it is probably the least friendly sleep environment. I'm like, I sleep in an S shape around two dogs and a big snoring former Marine. Uh <laughs> Is that why I don't feel good? No, truthfully, um, you know, it's really funny. One of the things that I found affected my sleep the best, and this is going to seem really down a rabbit hole, is probiotics. I notice a ginormous difference in how I sleep and how I feel when I wake up in the morning when I have good probiotics in my body and when I don't. And um, I think that that has been, for whatever reason, a um, big contributor to better sleep and overall better health for me. And probiotics are something that is is kind of a simple way that you can improve your health in a, in a huge way fashion and in so many different ways. Um, but for me, it, it helps me feel more energetic in the morning. And I've noticed a very acute difference when I am not taking a good probiotic and when I am in how I sleep. That's fantastic. And it makes a lot of sense. Uh, the gut microbiota definitely has tremendous influence on our mental state, our brain, actually. Yep. And so uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, yep. Okay. So, so um, regardless, you know, whether or not you believe in using magnesium, which I think is a good thing uh, for sure. If you're having sleep issues, melatonin or whatever, I I think, you know, you want to start to analyze, look at data and then act upon it. I really hate it when people just have these devices and they really don't act upon the information that is being provided. So 
I, I agree with you 100%, and I almost take this back a step. And I think one of the biggest things that anyone can do for self-care is journal and journal in general. And yeah. journal can be writing. Journal can be using electronics to track your sleep. That's just another form of journaling. I think the more data we can track on ourselves, the more we can know about ourselves, the more we can find these patterns, and we can we can improve our own lives. We love data, right? We're scientists. We're all science-based people. Did you know you can collect your own data? And are you? And if you're not, how can you? And like you said, how can you take that data, understand it, analyze it? And so for me, I think that can go back to journaling in so many different forms. I personally like the um, Trust Your Journey 90-Day Journal. That helps you map out gratitude, goals, mission, vision, kind of an overall statement for your life deal with it on a daily basis and then kind of weekly go back and take a review. It really creates cognizant effort in your own right. life to right. track the data, to make improvements, to find gratitude, and it creates a pattern. And what I think is the most important thing, and, and this may sound controversial, I don't want to be shaming or insulting to anyone. So please take this at face value. But I think you get it is easy. We all get into a pattern of learned helplessness. We yeah. think, I don't know how to improve my life. I can't improve it. It's too much. There's too much to do. How could I possibly? And and we don't take the time to break down into little practical functional steps that we actually really do, really can control our lives, find gratitude, find joy, and fill our own cups and be happy people. We can fight this compassion fatigue. We can fight, fight the burnout. We can feel better and it's obtainable. It doesn't have to cost us a fortune. It doesn't have to take a ton of time. So um, I think for me, just kind of like you said, is breaking it down to tracking data, journaling, learning where you're going, learning where you've been and analyzing it on a day-to-day -day basis because that has really been the root of me being able to find gratitude and prioritize my self-care. Yeah, and let's be clear. The neuroscience explains why what Becky described actually occurs. So most people in life, they just come out with the reasons why they can't do something. We're, we are we are hardwired to look at the negativity. And this actually is the primary function of the amygdala. See, see yeah. we view life in terms of longevity. So we're looking at the long game. We, we want to do things today that will impact us 20 years or give us favorable outcomes 20, 30, 50 years into the future. But your amygdala has one major responsibility, and that is to keep you alive in that moment. And so the amygdala is primed for negative stimuli. And so the amygdala, before you can get to the prefrontal cortex, which is where the more executive decision-making, you know, evaluation, rational part of the brain comes in, the emotional part of the amygdala says, wait a second, you know, you can't do this because if you, if you try to do exercise and sleep, you know, then that's going to somehow potentially put you at risk for dying in the moment, right? But that's, yeah. that's how we evolved. Yes. So you, you have to be, you have to really have this higher awareness. And this is why journaling, this is why, you know, meditation, this is why there's a whole variety of things that allow you to engage the higher functions of the brain, if you will, so that you can now separate the emotional context and the amygdala fear-based primes and actually get into more rational thought to explore and transcend just the immediate survival. That's exactly right. And, and, one thing I think is important to to talk about is the fact that this can be done in tiny life-changing steps one at a time yes. and that it doesn't have to be. We're not talking about having a meditation room where you sit on a pillow and ohm for 30 minutes a day. That's I mean, you can literally meditate in 
four to five to 10, 15 seconds at a time in just creating quiet and peace in your life. There's a lot of research. There's great YouTube videos. I mean, we have so much accessibility. There are apps out there, none of which sponsor us, but that, you know, when you think about some of these resources, they're free. They, they send you a reminder. They're backed up by science. They're created by scientists. There is so much accessibility in today to create that space. And, and so meditation is absolutely another thing. I think there's a million different forms of it, but find a form of meditation that works for you. And for me, meditation simply means my mind gets to rest. And whether that is a very conscious, effort-driven meditation of quiet time and quiet within myself or something like, say, kayaking, where I'm out paying attention to the water and paying attention to nature and my brain is so engrossed in what I'm doing and keeping myself safe and engaged in kayaking that I'm not thinking about the rest of my life worry and my brain gets a break. Yep, I love that. And I don't want to get more into exercise in a minute, but let's talk about now we've, we've woken up. Okay, so I think this is where most of us as I always say, tilt our day towards pessimism. And, and so now you're, you've waken up, you're waking up in the morning. I don't care if you got restorative sleep or you're feeling like a million bucks. I don't really care. What you do immediately upon waking will shape the rest of your day. All right. And what most Americans do right now, Becky, is probably, in my mind at least, one of the most destructive and harmful behaviors we can get, and that is they reach for the smartphone. And when they get the smartphone, they either have uh, notifications or they scroll social media or somehow they are now in sort of this land where they can potentially feel inferior, left behind, somehow inadequate. I know we keep talking about and using those terms, but I want you to really ask yourself today, is that how you should start each day? Feeling like somehow you're a failure, right? Feeling like you're not living up to others' expectations or feeling that somehow you need to impress the world. Like I just... That has always been a problem for me. So years ago, uh, I, I guess I've always done this practice, but I guess I formalized it about 10 years ago, and, and I've written about it and given lectures about it, but you know, I called it tilting towards optimism, and it's a really simple practice, Becky. What I do the first thing in the morning when you're kind of in that half awake state, you know, you're going from delta waves and, and you're kind of like, you know, waking up and you don't really want to open your eyes yet, but you know, you have to, right? Well, that's the time when I take a 30-second pause. And I literally do two things. The first thing I do before I open my eyes, you know, right when you're trying to wake up, is I, I make a reflection. And so I try to recollect something that gave me joy. And often this is around family, but it can be, you know, it can be anything in my life. But I just try to spend about 15 or so seconds just having conjuring up that image of holding a child or, or being at a birthday party or, or whatever, right? Just doing something, something that, that makes me joyful. And then for the next 15 seconds, I say, what's the one thing I'm looking forward to today? Like, what, what will bring me joy in that day? It could be the thing I'm about to go exercise. It could be about to go writing or go meet with somebody or, or see a patient or whatever it might be. But I just spend those two things. And I think what this does is it tilts my day towards optimism. And I want you to do this before you reach for the smartphone. I want you to do this before you look at your Instagram feed. I want you to do this before you let the world intrude and potentially put you down. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's, again, you know, it takes you a total of, what, 30 seconds? This is something there's no excuses for. This is something super tangible, super implementable in your life that just creates a little bit of habit making. And maybe it's your alarm goes off. And and nowadays we can name our alarms. And so if your alarm goes off, name it. Think of something good. When I used to start all of my classes, when I was teaching in the Tech Institute, I would say, tell me something good. We started every class with a, a positive conversation because you're exactly right. 
we end up in negativity so quickly and so easily. So tilting toward optimism is a great way to start your day. It's also a great way to take back control of your day. So what I find, you know, is when I'm getting myself in a bad mood, when I feel myself being frustrated, when I feel myself being irritated, I start to try to find people to compliment. And this tends to happen for me the most in in airports. It's where I find I get the grumpiest. (laughs) And that I have to take physical, tangible control of my mind. And so I will start to find people to compliment their sweater, you know, what a pretty scarf, whatever it is, so that I can start to see people smile, make people smile, and start thinking about positive things. It costs me no money. It takes me no time. These are people who are already crossing my path. So find the way during your day, not only to start it, but to continue positive thinking throughout the day. No money, no time, no excuses. Okay, I love that. So starting your day out. Now, then what you do next uh, is going to be largely dictated by your own personal habits. Like I am a person who has always found that exercise in the morning is best for me. If I'm doing weight training and back in my younger days when I was trying to put on muscle mass and get stronger, I would do weightlifting in the afternoon because maybe, you know, growth hormone actually peaks in the afternoon. So, you know, we, we can argue about that all day long. Obviously, growth hormone is secreted during deep sleep cycles, but also later in the afternoon for most <laughs> males. But regardless, you know, I, I found that if you want to adhere to a regular exercise program, the morning is the best time because you have the least excuses. Now, obviously you've got to plan ahead. I used to, I, I've always believed that the best thing you can do to encourage activity in the morning is to lay out your stuff. So go ahead and sort of have that debt. You know, you've already got your running shoes out. You've already got your running clothes out. You've already got your whatever out. You now owe it to them and your effort to, to show up and do that. Uh, I'll also tell you this most, not most, but many, many mornings I get up early and I don't feel like it, Becky. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't get great sleep last night. Or, oh my gosh, I've got 15 million things to do. And I don't feel like doing it. Sometimes I even feel physically tired and fatigued. But I will tell you this. I have never finished a workout in the morning not feeling much better, much more positive. So that's why I like to kind of start my day out. There's one other aspect I like about workout in the morning is I like starting out my day with a victory. Now, by that, I mean that I did something that, you know, was a challenge. So again, maybe it's just getting up and going for a walk. Like you did that, you started your day off with a victory. Maybe it is uh, that you completed, you know, your, you did uh, mile repeats. I mean, that's a victory. Maybe you just did a, um, a maximum, you know, weight set, you know, you got your three reps and you are like proud of yourself, but you set those little bitty goals, right? And you achieve them. And I think that by starting your day off like that with positive momentum, then when that client comes in who's just a real pain in the butt, you know what? You kind of started your day off with confidence and you're able to more, I think, I think more successfully deal with the challenges of life. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. I personally think that, you know, everybody has different rhythms for exercise. I think I agree with you. Exercise in the morning is wonderful. It it makes it so that you do have a win first thing in the morning and you have maybe the least excuses, although I think people tend to talk themselves out of exercise maybe easier in the morning than they would a different time of the day. For me, I find I have the most physical energy and the, the a propensity to work out more toward late afternoon. And I think this is partially because coming out of clinics, I kind of got in the habit of working out after work as a way of sort of working out maybe what I went through during the day. Right. And it was a it was a way for me to physically separate and leave myself behind um, because I found the drive home wasn't quite long enough for me to process my day and to switch my mind off. And so I was going home and still spending a lot of time in my mind at work and I was not able to just leave things at the door. So if you find personally that you have this maybe issue with as well, 
coming home from work, making sure you change out of your work clothes. So that's another huge thing for me is is when people come home and leave their scrubs on all day, they are basically physically, physically keeping themselves at work. But I also think that going ahead and getting some exercise and shaking off the day, it's a good it's a good time if you have managed to not get into it in the morning. Yeah, and, and listen, I, I will be the first to say that I believe physical activity is the secret to health and longevity. Uh, human beings, most animals, were designed to do one thing really, really well, and that is move. And yet our suburban, urban, whatever we call this lifestyle that we live now, sort of allows us to sit around a lot. And even though you go, well, I work in a vet profession, I'm on my feet all the time, it's still not as active as you might think. I mean, I remember years ago, Becky, uh, gosh, it's been nearly 20 years ago, we put pedometers, old waist-mounted pedometers on our staff, and we did a 30-day study. Uh, Gina Toman, who's now at IDEX, uh, wrote this, this study up. And we found that our staff in general, we're only walking about three miles the entire day. So even though it feels like a lot of work, the reality is it's more of an emotional drain that's making you feel fatigued. So, you know, you've got to find some way to move that body. And look, I'm not a big fan of, of even having to compress my workouts into an hour or 30 minutes or 15 minutes because that's not how we were naturally designed. But it's better than nothing. And honestly, you're engaging so many systems immune system, support musculoskeletal system. You know, of course, we've talked about brain, cardiovascular. I mean, golly Moses, lymphatics, you know, you have to make sure that you're moving to make your body work its best. Absolutely. And unfortunately, the cycle that people get into and the cycle that gets supported is not moving supports, not moving, right? Object at rest stays at rest object. So when you start working out and you start being active, you do actually find that your body goes toward wanting to do this and you, and you find the enjoyment in it. And most people can even say, you know what, when I work out, I feel great. I don't know why I stop, but I do. And then once I stop, I don't want to do it anymore. One thing I really encourage when I'm sort of coaching people around me and trying to help mentor people around me to having a great life and feeling good and feeling happy and meeting their goals is exactly that. That's that movement. So when you go back to starting out your day and you start with optimism, I love it. And one thing that I do to kind of start my day off and start it off in a great mood is I have a morning playlist. I get out of bed, that morning playlist goes on, it goes on real loud, and I get moving. I'm dancing with my dogs. I'm, I'm dancing around the house. I'm dancing while I'm t- brushing my teeth. I find a good 15, 20, 30 minutes. Sometimes it gets a lot of control dance party in the house, but I am moving, stretching, Blood is flowing and you cannot be in a bad mood when you're dancing. So there are ways to work in this type of movement, this type of fun. Can you can you start your day off with a dance party with your staff before (laughs) you guys get going? Can you turn on some music and get everybody laughing, smiling, having fun and working as a team? It worked for Ellen. (laughs) I love that. Uh, Okay, so exercise, sleep, you know, we've talked about meditation and so forth. I do want to talk about the role of diet and I don't want to get into, you know, my veganism or whatever, but I do want to talk about a practice that I've done for most of my adult life and I sort of stumbled into it and then over the past decade as research accumulated. It reinforced my belief. Um, And again, I'm going to be the first to say, I think that there are some people who are maybe more hardwired to do these types of things. But, you know, I think now the science is starting to accumulate, hey, there may be benefits. And I'm talking, of course, about intermittent fasting. And intermittent fasting takes many, many different forms. And there are people that, you know, take off like on the weekends, they only take in like 500 calories, you know, and then they eat whatever they want during the week. But what I've always done is what's called the 16-8. And by that, that means that for 16 hours of each day or thereabouts, uh, I don't eat anything. You know, I drink water and things like that, but I don't. Now, 
and eight hours a day I eat. And you can already see, Becky, if you're getting plenty of rest and you're working, this sort of fell into my lifestyle, you know, early on. And so um, people used to call this the skip the breakfast approach. But for me, I typically will try to eat around 6 or 7 p.m. in the evening. And that means that I'm not going to eat anything for breakfast, quote unquote, other than espresso or tea until 10 or 11 a.m., which most of the time kind of rolls itself into lunch anyway because you're just so darn busy that, you know, you just don't even really think about it. Uh, and, and so I'd like to get your take on that, Becky. I think that, you know, you need to pay attention to what you're eating. And 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 by that, I mean become a mindful eater. And, and I think that too often when we're so emotionally taxed in our busy veterinary clinics, a bag of chips, chocolates, donuts, whatever, just become this sort of emotional um, you know, tool that we use to sort of prop us up. So now you're reaching for this thing. Uh, it becomes this cane of, of sugar or whatever that makes you feel better because your amygdala is going, great, this is what we need. We need carbs and sugars because you never know, there might be, you know, a dinosaur around the corner, but it's really not good for our health. So Becky, what do you do to mindfully eat? Or do you, do you hear about people using intermittent fasting, sort of at least the way I've, I've described it? So I think that, you know, it's it's important to pay attention to your diet no matter what and to eat what makes you feel good and to pay attention to what you're putting in your body just because, like, it's your body. It's the only one you have. We right. have to take care of it long term. Neither of us are registered dietitians. We're not giving you any dietary advice or saying this one plan or any one plan works for everyone. No. I will say I actually just came across a veterinarians who are intermittently fasting Facebook group. What? Um, completely accidentally because I don't personally consciously intermittently eat. I will say this. I have recently, um, and, and I guess time flies, it's not that recent, um, within the last year, started working with a dietitian. And what I want to say is, so first of all, shout out Nutrition St- Stripped with Erica. She's amazing, um, and, I, and I absolutely adore them. They have really helped just kind of bring some things to light and consciousness and more than anything, let's just say, uh, and be honest, accountability, which right, I think is right. a, a, the bottom line to all of this, and, and I'll talk to that point in just a minute. Um but I use technology for what technology does best. And I and I found an amazing dietitian who I meet with online. I meet with her like once a month for like 30 minutes on a Zoom call. It, it is no different than most of the rest of my day. And, and I don't have to get in a car and I don't have to make an appointment and I don't have to drive somewhere. And it works so well in my life and it fits so well in my life. And technology has given us accessibility to amazing expert people. And so because of that, whatever it is that's going to be best for you and your diet and your eating, whether it's these home testing blood kits, whether it's online dietary services, whether it's eating menu planning that gets emailed to you, whether it's food that gets sent to your door, there is so much accessibility to good stuff, knowledge, education, um, that it's not about Dr. Google for us with dietary needs any more than it is for veterinary professionals, right? There is so much good information out there and accessible. Um, so for me, that is what I have found has really worked best is working with somebody, getting into accountability, understanding and learning what works best for me with a professional. Yeah. And this is awareness, mindfulness, whatever term you want to apply to it. This is where it becomes really, really important because honestly, when it comes to self-care in general, it is being aware that you need it, that you require it. It is not just like, oh, this is the only thing that works, or this is the thing you must do for success. It is just saying, 
I need to pay attention to what I'm eating. Did I feel good? Did I feel energized after what I ate? Or did I kind of feel gross and tired and shaky or whatever, right? Those are the types of actions that will allow you to transform your entire being. Yeah, exactly. And so kind of to my point about accountability, in the beginning, it is really hard to make these changes. It's it's easy to make excuses to yourself. It's easy to not do the best thing you can for yourself. So um, it has been proven time and time again, no matter what it is you're trying to do, partnering up with a friend, a buddy, somebody to be an accountability partner is one of the best ways to make these changes in your life because you have somebody cheering you on and saying, hey, what did you do? Find a buddy, find a person in your life and say, okay, we're going to try doing this. Whatever change it is, maybe the journaling, maybe better sleep, maybe more water, whatever it is, find somebody to do it with so you can be accountable with them. You will have more success and you'll have fun with your buddy. And then two of you are getting healthy. Right. And again, if you have a partner, a wife, a husband, a spouse, a significant other, whatever, this is a great time for you guys to unite. I know that Laura has been incredibly supportive of me over the years and likewise I am with her. And it is nice to always sort of have this person to bounce off and yeah, of of course, sometimes there's some ribbing that goes on like, ah, you, you sure you want another cookie, you know, and that's fine. But sometimes that's really important because you're saying that from a place of love, or at least at least that's how we're saying, it, you know, it, and when you're saying it from a place of love, it's like saying, hey, you know what? I care about your health. And look, it's great to have a glass of wine, but is it great to have a bottle of wine? Yeah, you make a really good point about getting people around you on board the best you can. I don't recommend sitting around and waiting for your partner if they're not on the same page as you in getting healthy. I recommend inspiring them from within. But at the same time, it is very important that they provide you the respect with not bringing certain things into the household that can be tempting. Perhaps it's setting boundaries around your work and saying, you may not call me on my day off. This is about my self-care and my personal day. Um, you know, there are a lot of different ways to set boundaries and make sure that the people in your life understand you're taking care of yourself for them, why you're doing it, and that they be supportive in respecting your boundaries in all facets. Oh, yeah. And, and let's face it, if you've got children or, or, or taking care of lots of pets, I mean, it is absolutely essential that your spouse or significant other be on board. Because, I mean, back during my competitive Ironman days, Becky, I mean, honestly, you know, Laura would have to shoulder a lot of the load you know, that, that normally I would have done, but what you have to do is balance that out so that you give her her time for her yoga class, right? I mean, so you have to, you really have to actively, consciously, mindfully work together. And, and what we used to do back, and now, of course, I'm not as competitive. I've had a couple of things and quite frankly, I'm in my mid fifties. So it's a whole different world as far as my goals and competition. You know, I don't, I no longer want to go to Kona or or do the the world championships, but what I do want to do is stay as fit and strong as possible. But back in those old old days when I was competing and running a clinic, two clinics, and Laura and I were having, you know, we had young children, we would sit down at the beginning of each year, part of our annual goal planning, Becky, and we would say, okay, Ernie, what are your goals for triathlon? What are your goals for running or swimming or biking or or paddling or whatever it might be? And then we worked together on what made sense, what race schedule, what training would look like, and then how could we each get what we needed from the relationship as opposed to just being a unilateral, I'm doing an Ironman, you know, make it work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as as a military spouse there's times that I acted as a single individual in a in yeah. a committed relationship we didn't have children in the household at the time but it makes me think about people who are single parents and people who are in situations where they are individual parenting uh long-term basis such as those that are our military or people whose spouses are deployed or firemen who work 24-hour shifts so th- we understand that that it's not always just as simple as having that support system within right. your house 
if you're in a clinic and you have a single mom in your clinic, I, you know, I have more than one time worked with single moms to say, Hey, I'll hang out with your kid. If you want to go have some fun tonight and trade you off for some pet sitting, would you mind, you know, walking my pets when I go out of town this weekend? Cause I don't have kids. Right. I travel a lot. I regularly need a pet sitter. And I found this to be a really good way to trade off services, save money for both of us and to kind of support single moms getting some self care. So if there's something like that you can do within your clinic or someone around you, be creative to create those opportunities to support those women around you. They need it. Gosh, well, Becky, we could go on and on, but we are out of time. So if you like content like this and you'd like to hear even more about some of the wacky things we do to stay at our optimal health, like why I still take L-theanine every day and nicotinamide, riboside, and all these other things that I do, and Becky does some stuff too, let us know in the comments on the podcast or on iTunes or wherever. We'd really like to hear from you. If this is something you'd like for us to explore more, we are more than willing to go there. That's right. Let us know what you do for self-care and how you fill your cup. Tell us how you conquer the guilty feeling and how you initiated some of these things in your life when you knew you really needed it. You're providing us this feedback, gets the word out to other people who are going to help learn and read and grow. And individually, we can take better care of ourselves within this whole community. Don't forget to subscribe, listen every week, share this podcast with your friends and colleagues, and do us a huge favor and give us a five-star review on iTunes. It means the world to us. Until next time, bye. Bye. All right. That was excellent. Thanks. There was a lot of...